Hi, welcome back to the Pause Podcast. This is Mari, and I'm here with Lindsay. And today is day 27 of our 30-day study of the book of Mark. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 15, verse 40. So if you haven't read that chapter yet, we encourage you to do so, but we're going to zoom in on just this verse. Um, Before we get started, it's important to note our mission here at The Pause, which is to carve out some space in your day for you to take care of your soul. So Lindsay, if you can read just this one chapter or this one verse, and we're going to focus on that today. Okay. There are also women looking on from a distance, among whom are Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joses and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there are also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Thanks. So chapter 15 is obviously one of the saddest and most significant Mm -hmm. in the Bible, as any description of Jesus's trial and crucifixion always is. And it feels a little wrong for me to focus on anything other than those events, but I am going to. (laughs) That's what we're doing. (laughs) Lindsay talked a little bit in the previous episode about Jesus' trial and about Pilate. Um, But I want to talk about these women because it's so easy to gloss over this portion. Um, But I want to focus on it. So I've mentioned a couple of times before this this book that I had read while I was writing this season, The Book of Longings um, Mm -hmm. by Sue Monk Kidd. And it's the fictional account of Jesus's wife. We don't know if Jesus had a wife or not. So it's a creative leap for her. But (laughs) one thing that it did for me was bring to light these female disciples of Jesus's. Um, They're mentioned really briefly and sparsely in all of the gospels. And I never really gave them too much thought. Um, Okay. Of course the book is fiction, um, but it made me consider the life and lot Mm. of these women. Mark. Because they're not fiction. They're not fiction. Yeah, they're They're, real. Yep. Mentioned here, and there's other disciples of Jesus, like um, Mm. Joanna and Susanna, Mm -hmm. um, that are mentioned in other books of the Bible. Luke 11, I think, calls some more of them out by name. But um, the Mark mentions here that they followed and ministered to him way back when he was in Galilee. And they had come all the way to Jerusalem with him, along with, quote unquote, many other women. And I can't help but wonder what that must have been like for them Mm -hmm. specifically. So we know that in Jesus's day, things were super patriarchal. Yep. Women were pretty much expected to stay at home. They couldn't own land. They couldn't keep their wages. They were considered property of either their father or their husband. They weren't required to pray in the way that men were. They were kept in the outer court of the temple they were definitely not allowed to study scripture. Mm-hmm. They weren't really even supposed to leave the house from what I read, except to go to synagogue. Wow. In fact, Rabbi Eliezer, who was a first century, a notable first century Jewish teacher is noted for saying, rather should the word of the Torah be burned than entrusted to oh a woman. Gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> Tell us how you really cool. feel. <laughs> like a glowing recommendation. So there's a lot to be said about Jesus's compassionate, mm-hmm. radical, and inclusive treatment of women. 
Yes. The fact that he actually merely spoke to them in public and touched them <laughs> when they were bleeding was in and of itself a oh, massive unheard game of. changer. Unheard yes. of. Yep. But the fact that he had female disciples, and this is confirmed in many places, in the Gospels and in Acts, who A, left their houses, B, were included in the audience for his teachings, and in the case of Mary, um, Mary and Martha, Mary, Mm -hmm. um, commended by Jesus for sitting at his feet, which was a rabbinical stance. Like if you were a rabbinical student, Mm -hmm. you sat at your rabbi's feet. So he's basically saying like, yes, you are Mm -hmm. a student. (laughs) You are a rabbi. You're a rabbinical student, which is something that I like really wish I knew more about. Yeah. I wish there was more information about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a conversation with Ada recently. Ada's my five-year-old daughter. I've told Lindsay this story already, but yeah, we were swimming in the pool and she's been really obsessed with um, Rachel and Leah, the story of Rachel and Leah. Oh yeah, lately. Jacob. And she talks about it all the time. And she had been like sort of talking about it a lot. And I was like, why do you like this story so much? Just curious. Like, what is it about mm-hmm. it that you like? What is it about Rachel and Leah that you admire? She's like, oh, it's just, you know, it's the only girl story. I like girl stories and it's the only girl story in the Bible. I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course, that's not true. And she said, well, yeah, yeah it is. And she has this little um, like kid's Bible, like a story Bible. She said, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's that story. But then the the girl story, the only girl story is Rachel and Leah. I was like, there's mm. no way. And I did go back later that night and flip through her little story Bible, and it's right. She's mm. true. She's true. She's right. There's only a handful of stories involving women, but Rachel and Leah is the only one where women are the like the main characters. Like the main characters. Mm-hmm. Wow. I know, Man. and it just broke my heart. Ooh. And so I was trying to explain to her, oh, well, you know, your story Bible is just a couple of the stories compiled from the grown-up Bible that, you know, Daddy and I read. She's like, oh, so there's more There's more girls in the Bible? And I'm like, wow. yeah, yeah, there's more. There's yes. some cool ones. So I told her about Esther and Ruth Esther, or whatever. Ruth, yeah. Um, and she was like, why Why aren't there more girl stories? Um, and I was kind of like, oh, how, how far do I go with this? And I'm like, well, yeah. you know, back in Jesus' day and even, you know, sometimes today, people th- thought that girls weren't as smart or as strong or as important as boys. So they just, you know, they kind of didn't get included in the stories as much. And she thought that was hilarious, which made me feel hmm. better as a parent. Like, better. Oh, at least you know that that's she absurd. A, yes. Um, and then she kind of was thinking about it and then was like, does God like boys more than hmm. he likes girls? And hmm. I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no. it broke my heart. And it made me really angry. So... Anyways, it just made me feel uh, frustrated, and I just think it's a shame that there isn't more information mm-hmm. or even, like, curiosity, I guess, about the other side of Jesus' disciples. Yes. These women stayed with him in his death, even after all of the noteworthy male disciples abandoned him. Like, we saw them all scatter, yes. scatter with they the naked ran. guy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> and these women stuck around to see where he was buried so that they could attend to his body. And as we'll see, they end up being the first witnesses of his resurrection. Hmm. So here's what I know. Hmm. Representation matters. Like we talk about this a lot. Amen. Yep. Never Never mind the overwhelming statistics that prove this, but any parent who's paying attention knows it, that kids are mimics. Their mirror neurons and their little brains are incredibly active. 
and they shape how our kids move and act and achieve, but also in how they feel about themselves as they're doing these things. Mm-hmm. So more than anything in the world, mm-hmm. I want my girls to grow up as disciples of Jesus and my son who yes. hasn't been born yet. So I always forget about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want my girls to grow up to be disciples of Jesus. And I want them to learn every day how to more fully embody the promises that God speaks over them, that they're beloved and they belong and they're pleasing. Yes. Yes. And yes, generations of us have grown up to love and follow Jesus from reading about male disciples. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing wrong yep. with that. They're great. They yep. were our main role models. Sure, sure, sure. That's fine. Yeah. But I know that an even quicker and surer way to teach their little minds is to tell them about these women mm. disciples. Like, the best way to show them how to be female disciples is to show them female disciples. Like it's pretty <laughs> straightforward. Pretty simple. Yep. And I plan and to. And they exist. Yeah, they exist. I'm not making this up. We don't have to imagine them. Yes, they actually existed and followed Jesus. They were real people. And I don't have to use like creative license or like stretch the right. truth a bit. Like, no, right. it's right there. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I was thinking about like, well, what do I want them to learn from these women. Mm, that's good. I want them to notice the courage yes. of Jesus's disciples, both male and female. But more notably, how the women put learning from Jesus above what other roles were expected yes. of them. Mm-hmm. These are the priorities that I want in my girls. The society mm-hmm. has a lot to say about what should be important to girls mm-hmm. in every culture and uh, throughout history. Mm-hmm. But I want my girls to know that learning who Jesus was and who he says that we are should be their number one priority. Amen. And these women, these female disciples were brave enough to stick with Jesus despite pressures to prioritize otherwise. Mm. Like they pressures Mm -hmm. to not leave their house or to not study or like all the pressures to be this specific type of Jewish women in those days. They stuck with him to the very end when everyone else was abandoning him. And not only abandoned, but betrayed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're Gosh, right. Like, literally turned their back, too. Mm-hmm. Some of them. Yeah. This is so good. Uh, I want them to notice that the mm. female disciples were smart mm. and that they, I think they understood that there's some power in being underestimated. Yes. I tell my Amen. girls this all the time, like... You could rant about it and defend yourself or your credentials, or you could just slip in there and just be excellent at what you do. So like one theory that I read about how the women were able to get so close to Jesus in his crucifixion, like they were at his feet in one of the gospel accounts, is because women in general were so undervalued in that society that literally no one took notice of them. Mm. It was like, as Mm -hmm. if like a squirrel scampered up, it's like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Like they just didn't care. (laughs) Yeah. So they, like so many women throughout history, they just use this to their advantage and they're like, cool. They slipped in and out as agents of mercy and justice and empathy, like to Mm. his death. Mm. Um, These women were compassionate and empathetic We could nerd out on this all day about how women in general tend to score higher on tests measuring empathy and compassion and nonverbal communication. And I don't like we could I could say a lot about that. Of course. Yeah. The nature versus nurture on that. I want to remind my girls that these qualities 
of those women and that they will find in themselves of empathy and compassion and tenderness, Mm -hmm. they're often seen in our culture as weaknesses, as traits that they should learn to control or overcome in order to achieve and lead and succeed. Mm. But I hope that my girls and my son learn from these disciples that their empathy is what made them brave. Mm. Their compassion is what made them bold. And that staying mm. soft is actually a superpower, mm. which makes me a, think about Brene Brown, yeah. of course. Yeah. It reminds me of quiet, like quiet strength. Yes. They just had quiet strength. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, keep going. Um, well, if you know anything about Lindsay and I, it's that we're Brene mm. Brown fangirls. Um, obviously. She's incredible. If you're not familiar with Brene Brown, get familiar. She is the foremost researcher on the power Mm -hmm. of shame and vulnerability in human connection and potential. I recommend literally any book she has written, all of them. Just read them all. And her Netflix special. And her Netflix special. And her TED Talks. Yeah, just do it. Everything she's (laughs) ever done. Just do a full, like, (laughs) yes, consume all of it. But today Mm -hmm. I want to talk really quickly about some of the connections that she makes about empathy and courage. So Brene posits that Empathy and shame are on opposite ends of a spectrum. Yes. And that to show empathy takes great courage. Yes. And since courage is from the Latin root for heart, she defines courage as telling the, tr- the truth of who you are with your whole heart, which is one of my favorite mm. definitions for courage. Mm-hmm. So I think Brene would say that Jesus's female disciples were able to show such great courage because the very act of following him in the first place forced them to contend mm. with like a pretty significant cultural shame. Yes. It forced them That's as good. they're leaving their houses and breaking all of these rules to say, actually, who I am is not really limited to this house or to the outer courts of the synagogue. Who I am is a follower of Jesus. So mm. they already were dealing with shame just heaped on them, probably mm-hmm. on the daily for being mm-hmm. these, what, like roaming rabbinical students. <laughs> like they would have defied all, oh, yep, all, I don't know, whatever was considered like a, a good woman. Mm. I would argue that the male disciples following Jesus, while they certainly made sacrifices that took great courage, and many of them went to a death that was extremely courageous, mm-hmm. they had societal and cultural rewards for doing so. So like many of these male disciples, or maybe possibly most of them, thought that he was a political liberator, right? They thought he was coming to over throw Rome and restore power to Israel and to set them free. So they could defy cultural rules put on them and they could defy any of the shame that may have been heaped on them Mm -hmm. by sort of considering themselves as like a freedom fighter and see how Mm. by following Jesus, well, it'll in the end, it'll be best for my family and my country. But the women didn't have that advantage Following Jesus for them meant nothing but shame, really. Mm. So it was like their cultural norms and the place that they found themselves in society is what maybe caused the men to run and the women to stay? That's what I'm saying, that like the women had already contended with the shame. So like in the face, 
in the face of his crucifixion. What do they have to lose? What do they have to lose? They're like, I'm That's already good. a pariah. Yeah. Mm. The women had already, when they started following him years mm-hmm. before in Galilee, they had already abandoned all their valued identities and norms. Mm. They mm. had to, from the beginning, truly believe mm. the truth of who they were with their whole heart. They truly had to have the courage to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They weren't in it for any other sort of identity reward. Mm. So then when it comes time for Jesus to be crucified, we see the guys all scatter as the women show up. And I mm. want my girls and my sons to see that this takes great courage, courage that only comes through vulnerability, through yes. knowing and telling the truth of who you are. And these women had already contended with this. They had already fought yes. for their identities. Unlike disciples, maybe like Peter or Naked Mark, who are thrown, <laughs> they are eventually thrown into the search for identity only when their other titles like freedom fighter or zealot or political ally are destroyed in Jesus's mocking and degrading trial. Then Peter learns who he really is mm-hmm. once everything else burns away. Mm. That's when Peter finds his courage, I think. So it's like their very um, identity and makeup as women is actually an asset. Yeah. Like the shame that they that was heaped on them from the beginning mm. and ends up being yes. their yep. greatest tool. Tool. Because, yeah, like you said, they have nothing it, left to lose. They're like, no. hmm? yep. I've been yep. following him from the beginning with the sole reward of following him. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That's all that there was in it for me. Yeah. And he was probably freedom that they could understand and needed. You know, when you live yeah. in that much shame and when someone's presenting like a new identity and a newness, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was just everything they needed. Yeah. And the men were like, what? Who? Huh? No? Huh? You know, it's like... <laughs> Can I sit at your right hand and your left hand? <laughs> your left? You have no idea what you're asking, <laughs> you know? And... And then the, the women are like at the foot of the cross, you know, and, yeah. um, oh, I love this. That's so good. Yeah. So I've just been mulling over that mm. for like my girls. What do I want? Mm. And my son. Um, mm-hmm. So anyways, like mm. we, if we want to do discussion questions, what do the female disciples represent to you? Mm. Yeah, I think um, quiet strength, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. it's the strength and steadfastness. Um, that I love. Um, I love that. And by, by quiet, I mean just like kind of how you said it. They like slip in and out with not a ton of notice, mm-hmm. but it's their presence. They're there. Um, and I had, I wrote in my Bible, like all caps, it's like the women were there. It's if you read this this um, this narrative and this part of the story in the last couple of chapters of Luke, it's like, or of Mark and Luke, um, the men are just like all over the place, but the mm-hmm. women are constant and they're steadfast and they're consistent and they're they're present and they're at his tomb. You know, they're they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like the courage, you're exactly right. The presence, um, they're like undeterred. Um, yeah, there's a lot to be inspired by um, when it comes to to these women. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I would say for me, they represent um, yeah. hope Yeah, for me and for my girls that yeah. for those of us who contend with shame early mm-hmm. enough on in our journey to value Jesus above all else, yeah, the opposite of shame is courage. And then we're going to 
it just makes me feel good for my girls that like, yeah, life is hard and the world can be really unkind, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. to women, I would say. Yeah. And what they need is courage. Yes. What I could hope for them, the best thing I could wish for them besides Jesus is courage. Mm -hmm. And I like to know that that'll come easily to them. Yeah. And I like, you know, I'll say just as a female pastor, um, obviously things are different, but obviously there's still a patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's more implicit bias. Yeah. Um, And so people aren't outright sexist, but it's more implicit. That people don't even realize sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That they're, they favor men or they're choosing men or when they think of a pastor or when they think of a leader, they think of male. Um, mm-hmm. And when a woman says like, um, or when a woman gives feedback or speaks her mind, she's bossy or the B word, you know, and yeah. um, which is like all implicit bias. And, and you know, as I like... Um, kind of contend with my own calling in what would be considered a male profession, if you will. Um, I keep thinking like, God is the only one I answer to, you know, and God is the only one that's given me a calling and we just keep going, you know, and we keep asking questions and we keep going. And I don't ever want to compare myself to the same cultural situation as these female disciples, but it, it, it gives hope. It inspires me. And it's just like, I want to, I don't want to lose focus. I want to like, you know, put off all the noise around me, which is what I feel like they did. And they're like, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's why like, yeah, I, I have a calling to do this and I'm going to do this. So. Well, I think one of like, uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing this example, but mm-hmm. what, an example of implicit bias from your life is Lindsay was ordained last summer and I was at, yes. I was fortunate yes. enough to be at the ordination ceremony, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I had the job of holding your certificate <laughs> after very big job. I think yes. you were like hugging friends and stuff. So I was I was going back to your house with you. So I was holding on to this certificate. So being mm-hmm. the nerd that I am, I was reading all of the fine print on this like mm-hmm. ornate ordination certificate, mm-hmm. and the the pronouns were male. Yes. And, and they no still one are. Had, no one had noticed it. No one noticed it. And it's such a small thing. Yes. And I think there's people who would say, well, who cares? It's such a small thing. Mm-hmm. But if even the small things don't, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, those small things yeah. stack up. And it is yeah. like, if mm-hmm. even those small things, that's that's the definition of implicit, implicit right? Implicit bias. <laughs> right. And look what that represents. It's like, mm-hmm. I had worked so hard for that, you know, and I had... Um, really put a lot of time and years and and uh, just it took a lot to get there and that they hadn't even thought and prepared for me. You know, it was like, it just felt like it was just so careless, you know, if I'm being honest about that experience. And obviously yeah. it's a it's a paper and it's like, and then women have to be, you have to choose in those moments. And you're yeah. like, what fight am I going to fight? It's like, I and obviously I asked for it to be changed, but, um, but it is like, What's the bigger picture here? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lose focus on what the good is that's happening. But yeah, I don't mind you sharing that story. I think that's really important to understand that, the implicitness. Implicitness, is that that a word? No, yeah, I think, well, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's Tina Fey, and I won't get the quote right, and I probably wouldn't anyways, because I think it's like, I think she uses a lot of swear words in it, but 
in her book, she tells this story about like the moral of the story is that she's like that she doesn't spend time arguing with people who say that women aren't funny. Oh like, yeah. Because she's a comedian. She's like, I just do, I just make really hilarious shows. Like basically I just am really funny and I just don't care what they say. Mm. She's like, I just, mm-hmm. I'm excellent. I do excellent work and I let the work speak for itself. Why would I go argue with you? I just let the work speak for itself. And it's right. like, I feel like that so has good. been so fr- good for years now. I've seen that attitude in you where you're like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I could get into a fight with you about this, or I could just be mm-hmm. really excellent at my mm-hmm. job and watch these teenagers learn more about mm-hmm. Jesus and mm-hmm. dedicate their lives to him. And like, that's what's mm-hmm. important. That's who I answer to. Yeah. And these, yeah, these yeah. Uh, female disciples, same thing. It's like, yeah. I could explain to you why I left my house to follow this man through the countryside yes. of Galilee. <laughs> yeah. Or but I'm I just going to do it. Or I could yeah. just do it mm-hmm. and learn from him and be more like him. Man, it is really hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. But it's holy work. Yeah. It's hard and holy. It's good. All right, question number two. What value, and I know that you do, but I wrote, if any, for anyone who's listening, who maybe doesn't, do you put on historically feminine traits like vulnerability, Mm. compassion, and empathy? I put feminine in parentheses or in quotations because obviously I think everyone has them. Yeah, it's good. But I think they've yeah. been labeled that way often. Yeah. Um, I think the highest value, <laughs> I think these are like what makes the world, I think these things are what's going to change the world, these values. Um, and I've said too that honesty is like one of my core values, like integrity, honesty. But I always think, what's the difference, do you think, between transparency and vulnerability? You know what I mean? I'm like, I want to be transparent. But vulnerability just feels like a deeper level. And I think Brene Brown talks about that one of her books. I do too. And I'm like, shoot, I can't remember what she said. And I can't remember. Yeah, as soon as I say it, I was like, "Ah, I can't remember. But that's something like I want people to be transparent, especially like just, you know, culturally and um, in our world and – but I'm like, what's vulnerability compared to transparent? Transparency just feels like I'm laying it out there. Vulnerability is like, I'm going deep. I don't know. Yeah, I think I there's like a, um, if I remember right, the difference is you can be transparent with everyone. You should mm-hmm. be transparent with everyone. You shouldn't have secrets. You should be an honest, mm. authentic person. Transparency mm-hmm. is for everyone. Vulnerability yes is selective and it's almost a gift you give people. You invite people in. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's move into our time of meditation. We used a lot of Brene Brown buzzwords today. Vulnerability, courage, shame, compassion, etc. One word we didn't touch on and one that Brene, neuroscience, and Jesus all compel us to practice, and that's gratitude. The Bible says that a joyful heart is good medicine. Brene Brown says that joy, the most courageous of all emotions, is cultivated through gratitude. Research shows that if you can focus on gratitude for at least 90 seconds, your brain releases over a thousand healing and life-giving biochemical reactions that can last up to six hours. So a six-hour payoff for 90 seconds is a pretty good deal in my book. Our brains learn from and are soothed by repeated phrases. So choose one for this meditation. I'm so thankful for, I appreciate, or maybe just thanks. 
And then we're going to do a couple of phrases as you use your gratitude words. So let's take a couple deep breaths and sink into a quiet place. Close our eyes. And if you're comfortable, it helps to say these words out loud. It helps your brain, actually. So think of a person in scripture whose example has mattered to you and give thanks out loud for them. Now think of a quality of Jesus that you admire and give thanks. Think of a name that Jesus calls you and give thanks. Think of a place where you last felt deep peace and give thanks. Think of your favorite food and give thanks. Think of your favorite song and give thanks. Think of a person who makes you laugh and give thanks. Think of a person who cheers you on and give thanks. Think of the most recent time you were brave and give thanks. Think of the most recent time you were patient and give thanks. Think of a time when you forgave and give thanks. Think of a time when you were forgiven and give thanks. Look around you, find something that brings you delight no matter how small, and give thanks for it.
The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above. So lift your chin up, fill up your lungs, and thank God for being a God who gives us good gifts. Thanks for joining us today. If you're looking for show notes to follow up on any references we may have shared, you can find those in the episode description or by going to our website at www.thepausepodcast.com, where you can also find links to our social media, along with a handy guide to subscribing or leaving a review. Thanks for listening.